0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Uh, We're in Hosea chapter 9, so if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hosea. Hosea chapter 9 has to deal with sin. (laughs) And uh, you know, the Bible, in fact, in in, uh, Hebrews, talks about the passing pleasures of sin, Uh, Sin is pleasurable, right? Uh, If it wasn't easy for you and I to commit sin, or if we weren't tempted to sin, we probably wouldn't have any issue staying away from sin. But unfortunately, sin is tempting. Sin is easy to commit, uh, but people who practice sin, eventually they're going to be compensated by their sin. And that's what Hosea chapter 9 is all about. There's a key verse in there, it's verse 7, and it talks about the days of recompense have come. You know, the days of recompense, the days of compensation. And so, uh, if you think about it in those terms, uh, this is really about the payday of sin. Because sin has a payday, and uh, it's also going to be talking about the bitterness of bondage to sin and so in this chapter here Hosea is announcing to the people of the northern kingdom that their payday has arrived and uh, he's going to share with them what their compensation is going to be so that's what we're going to look at this morning so in verse 1 beginning there in Hosea chapter 9 verse 1 it says do not rejoice O Israel with joy uh, like other people's For you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. The very first payoff of sin, if you want to call it that, or the first thing that sin does that's mentioned here in this chapter, is joy is taken away. Joy is removed. One commentator said, Joy is forbidden fruit, to those who have broken covenant with God until they return and make peace with their God. And if you've experienced sin, which I'm sure every one of us have, uh, even as believers, we know that uh, that's one of the things that happens. Our joy is just stolen from us when we commit sin. Why? He says, for you have played the harlot against your God. And he's speaking about spiritual idolatry. Spiritual idolatry is worshiping uh, anything or anyone, including ourselves, uh, instead of or rather than the Lord God. And so they had been worshiping, and of course you know the story that they had uh, Jeroboam, their first king, had had set up two calves in in, uh, northern and southern end of the northern kingdom uh, in Dan and Bethel for the children of Israel, rather than going to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple, uh, for them to worship God in their own way there, and idolatry just swept into the nation as as a result of that turning away from the Lord. And uh, it says here, For you have made love for hire on every threshing floor. And so the idea is prostitution is really the picture that's being painted here. And it's spiritual prostitution. Now, a threshing floor is where a harvest was brought to. You know, you'd go on the fields, you'd harvest your grain, your corn, whatever it was, and you'd bring it to the threshing floor where you'd separate the wheat from the chaff or you know, you'd you'd uh, you'd get end up with your grain, you end up with your final product, your harvest. And uh, so that was where the harvest was brought to, and that was the place where the fruit of your harvest could be seen. Now, the new living translation Has a little twist on it. It says, "You have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourselves out like prostitutes, worshiping other gods on every threshing floor." And you know, this verse I was really kind of struggling. He's like, "What? What is this saying?" Well, Young's literal translation says, "This thou hast loved a gift near all floors of corn. You've loved a gift." At every, every threshing floor is basically what it's saying. Um, you see, Israel had been unfaithful to the Lord, their God. They had worshipped other gods. They had worshipped idols. And they loved the rewards of their idolatry. In fact, back in Hosea chapter 2, you recall when we were studying that in verse 12, it says, I will destroy her vines and her fig trees of which she has said, these are the wages that my lovers have given me. In other words, you see the problem was they had continued with in sin for so long and there was no consequences for their sin, God had been withholding judgment, not because he was just you know, a pacif- you know, pacifist or just you know, turning, his, turning away from it. It's because God was being patient. God was sending prophets to him, telling them to repent of their sins. You know, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you and I to repentance. God is so patient towards us. And he was patient towards Israel. But you see, the thing is, they had a false sense of security. Because as long as there wasn't any repercussions for their sinful choices, hey, I'm getting a reward from it. You know, the the, the pleasures of sin, that instant gratification, everything, the momentary payoff, they were experiencing it. And so, for a season, sin sin was fun. Sin had a payoff. It was good. And so, that's what they were doing. Um, But there was one thing that was missing from them, and that was joy. Now, they may have had temporary happiness, because joy isn't happiness. Joy is different. You know, they may have had temporary happiness. You know, I'm happy when things are going well in my life. You know, I'm happy when the car's running great. I'm happy when I've got food in the, you know, in my house. I'm happy when I've got a paycheck. I'm happy when I'm healthy. You know, I'm happy when I'm not arguing with my wife. I mean, there's all these things that cause me to be happy. Um, but you see, there, once those things start taking away, then also my happiness goes away, Right i had a fight with my wife. I'm not happy anymore. Or, you know, my car broke down. Oh, man, I'm not happy anymore. But that's not joy. Joy transcends circumstances. And when you're in sin, that joy is robbed from you. That joy is stolen from you. Why? And that's the second thing here in verse 2, because sin deceives us. Hosea 9, 2, The threshing floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. You see that threshing floor, that place where they had got that harvest, the wine press where the, where the grapes were brought in and pressed so they could, they could make their wine, they could make their, their beverages and their vinegars, whatever it was that they made with it. Um, it says that those things would not feed them. That word feed, it means to tend or to pasture. You get the idea of you know, sheep or, or cattle out in the field grazing. And, yeah, I'm not a farmer. I'll be the first to admit it. So I, maybe my my example is a little silly. But when I look out at a, at a pasture and I see animals out there, you know what I see? I see peace and tranquility. Now, I know it's not always that way. Cause, but that's what I see, being the city slicker I am. I look out there and I go, look at those cows. In fact, it was funny uh, when... I got out of the Coast Guard. I remember um, one of you know we tried to to stay in Duluth because we wanted to we wanted to live there, but there really wasn't any work there in the in the 80s when I got out. Um, The iron you know industry had just kind of collapsed there, and so there just was a lot of unemployment. So we went back to California. But one of the things that I had said to Teresa, I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool just buy an acre to a land? We'll buy some sheep and we'll become sheep herders. You know, I thought it would be so awesome. And then I found out from people that have sheep how hard it is, and sheep are dumb, and all that stuff, and so glad I didn't do that. But but when I look out at a pasture, man, I see peace and tranquility. Why? Because they're eating. They've got everything. They're, they're satisfied. They have their food there. They have, they have everything they need there, and so that's the, ten, that's the picture that I get anyways when I look at a pasture. I see tranquility, and I see peace, and I see satisfaction. But for those who've been deceived by sin, they have mer- maybe they've pursued peace. Maybe they've, maybe they've pursued, you know, this is going to bring me tranquility. This is going to bring me what I want, satisfaction, only to find out that sin deceives. And there is no peace. There is no satisfaction. There is no tranquility. It says, the threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them. You're not going to get peace from those places that you've gone to. And it says, and the new wine shall fail in her. that word fail means to disappoint, to be untrue. You see, because sin promises fun, it promises gratification, but it leaves you and I disappointed and without joy, because sin deceives. In fact, Romans 7.11, Paul writes about that. He says, for sin, taking an occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. And in Hebrews... Uh, 3.13, it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, even as believers, we can be deceived by sin. And that's why we're in a body of Christ together. That's why it's important to be in fellowship together so that we can encourage one another. It, you know, we're to, and I don't knock the bigger churches, but you know, one thing that's beautiful about having a smaller fellowship like this is that we know one another a little bit more intimately. And it can, that can happen in a large church too, if you're in a Bible study or whatever. But in this church, you know, it's, it's, we, we know each other and we, we, you can kind of tell when something's kind of going on in someone's life. You say, hey, you know, brother or sister, you know, I'm concerned. I see this, you know, and we can, and if we're open and honest with one another, we can be transparent and say, yeah, you know, this is what's going on. And and we can encourage one another. And, and that's what's so important about fellowship, because we can be deceived. When we're off on our own, we can be deceived by sin. It's so easy. Not only does sin deceive us, but sin causes a loss of fellowship with the Lord, and it, redu- it, it reduces us to isolation, or brings us to isolation. Verse 3, They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Now Ephraim, if you don't know, Ephraim and the northern kingdom of Israel, it's synonymous. So when you hear Ephraim, it's talking about the northern kingdom of, of Israel. It says Ephraim would go into captivity, uh, and it mentions Egypt. Um, but we know from history that, it, that Ephraim went into captivity in Assyria. Eventually, some would end up in Egypt. But I think what's being spoken of here, you know, ever since God delivered the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, I mean, as soon as they were in the wilderness, as soon as things started getting tough, what do they want to do? We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to that place where we where we were comfortable, where things weren't so tough, and the thing is, they forgot that while they were in Egypt, they were in bondage, uh, so they would you know so they would want to go back to to Egypt all along and so because of their continued rebellion, um Assyria would end up being their new egypt, and uh, the only thing is the bondage that they experienced in Egypt. Uh, would be nothing really relatively compared to the bondage that the tribes of Israel would experience in Assyria it'd be a lot rougher a lot worse for them there so they would no longer dwell in the lord's land the place of god's blessing you know israel that was the promised land God said, "You come into my land i 'm giving you this land, you follow my commandments, you do what I, you know you do what I command you i 'm going to bless you i 'm going to take care of you i 'm going to feed you i 'm going to satisfy you, um, but the thing is, because of their sin, they were no longer in that place of fellowship with the Lord, they were no longer in that place of god 's blessing and god can 't bless sin god can 't bless us when we 're in sin when we 're practicing sin." And so, as a result of that, they would lose their fellowship with the Lord. Isaiah chapter 59 talks about it. It says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your your tongue has muttered perversity. Sin separates us from God. Not only would they eat unclean things in Assyria, but they would lose the opportunity they once had to serve the Lord in the way that God had commanded them. Look at verse 4. It says they shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord nor shall they sa- nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. It shall be like bread of mourners to them. All who eat it shall be defiled for their bread shall be for their own life. It shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do in the appointed day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? See for the Israelites, you know, God had set up one place for them to worship and that was in Jerusalem, that was in the temple. And as a result of going into Assyria, there would be no temple, there'd be no altar. You know, they wouldn't have kosher, there's no kosher delis in Assyria. They would basically be eating things that God had commanded them not to eat when they were in, in the promised land. And so, whatever they ate, it was defiled. And that was the situation that they had brought themselves into. Whatever they offered to the Lord at that time, it would not be accepted because it was defiled. You see, sin takes away the opportunity to serve the Lord in an acceptable manner. It takes away your and my usefulness. And if you're not even careful, like as a pastor, man, it can take away my ministry if I continue in sin. So it, it's, sin destroys. And uh, you know, the thing is, in the land of Israel, Ephraim, they had the temple. They had the altar in Jerusalem, but they chose to neglect worshiping the Lord in the temple. And as a result of that, the Lord basically sent them into Assyria. And, and now, you know, now it's like you're in, you know, you feel bad about your sin, you're in this this foreign land, now you want to serve the Lord. But he says, I, I can't accept your offerings now. Basically, Hosea is saying here, when you were removed from Israel... You're going to try to worship the Lord in Assyria, but God's not going to accept your worship there. You know, Albert Barnes, he's a commentator. He said this, Our human nature is to neglect to serve God when He wills it, and then attempt to serve Him when He forbids it. There's a perfect example of this in the, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 14. God had brought the children of Israel, you know, taken them out of Egypt. They were wandering through the wilderness. He brought them to the land of Canaan and he told them, you know, I'm going this this is I'm giving you this land. This is going to be a land of milk and honey. You go in there, I'm, I'm going to take I'm going to chase out your enemies from before you. I'm going to bless you in this land as long as you follow me. And as they were approaching, you know, when they left Egypt to the time that they got to the promised land, it had only been like a couple months or something in the wilderness. It was a short period of time. They got to the promised land, and God said, okay, I want you to take 12 spies, go into the land, spy out the land, come back and report. And uh, so they sent 12 spies in, and uh, the 12 spies came back, and they said, hey, man, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the fruit. And they brought back all this wonderful fruit and stuff. They go, "It's great, but there's giants in the land. It's, it's, I mean, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. Um, and basically... Ten of the spies, now, now two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, Hey, it's true, it's, it's, you know there's giants in the land, but you know what? God's promised it to us. So let's go. Let's, let's take it. I mean, God's going to give it to us. But ten of the spies said, Oh, man, we're going to get destroyed. And ten discouraging people, you ever been around discouraging people? It's a bummer, right? Ten discouraging people turned away two million Israelis, or they would be Israelis eventually, um, from going into the promised land. That's what discouragement does. And uh, anyways, so God was angry with them and basically said, okay, if you're not going to go into the promised land, you're going to wander in the wilderness until that entire generation that grumbled and complained dies in the wilderness. Your children I'm going to bring into the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb, because they listened, because they were trusting me, they'll go into the promised land, but the rest of you won't. And uh, so... The children of Israel, they heard that and they're like, oh, we're sorry. You know, they had the opportunity to obey God and to serve him. And they were all bummed out. So then they said, oh, no, 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 we'll go into the promised land. And so they tried to go into the promised land after God said, you're not going to go in the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness. And uh, they started to go in there and the Amalekites basically defeated them in battle and drove them back into the wilderness. You see, they had that opportunity to obey the Lord but they neglected to do it, and then later they wanted to do it, and it was too late. You and I have an opportunity to serve the Lord, to be useful for Him now, but you see, sin can cause you and I to miss that opportunity. I look at my own life, you know, I'm, well, I'm in my 50s, I won't say exactly, but anyways, uh, you know, I look at my life, and uh, I, I think back to how many years I squandered, you know, just, the party lifestyle and doing all the things that I did back then. And and then finally giving my heart to the Lord and saying, I surrender, I want to live my life for you. And, you know, I was in my my 20s, I guess, so it's been a while. But but I look back and I go, how many years have I squandered just living for my own pleasures and living for whatever, you know, when I could have been serving the Lord? And, you know, God is gracious because God allows you and I to redeem the time. I mean, God is so good. But I look back and I go, man, I wish I had... I wish I had just served him from day one. I mean, just think of the blessings of doing that. But sin can cause you to miss that opportunity. Verse 6 of Hosea 9, it says, For indeed they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their valuables of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. When When you read in the Bible about thorns and nettles, you know, thistles and things like that. Uh, In scriptures, when something has thorns and nettles all around it, what basically what it means is it's overgrown and it's neglected. As in this proverb, in Proverb 24, verse 30, it says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down, and so the picture is this lazy guy. He won't go out. He won't pull weeds. He won't till his till his field, and it ends up getting overgrown. and And you know that. I mean, if you're into gardening and stuff, you know you have to kind of keep up on those things. If you if you tend to back off, it just the wild stuff just grows. It just it gets crazy, and so that's the picture in the Bible. In Ecclesiastes chapter ten, it says, "Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks." That's kind of funny because we're selling our house. So we sold it now, and you know, we did all this stuff to get it ready. And and uh, I realized I had neglected a few things. And so before we put the house on the market, man, I was just for there for a couple months. I was just working, trying to catch. Up, and I thought, you know, if I had just stayed on top of this stuff. Man, it would have been a breeze. You just kind of clean the house and put it on the market. You're good to go. But no, I had all these projects I had to get done and things I had to fix and stuff. The things that uh, had been broken for quite a while. It's like, oh, i got to fix it. Um, but, you know, that's what happens uh, in our own personal lives. Well, when something is not tended to, it's not overgrown, it's basically it's been neglected. And sin causes you and I to neglect that work of sanctification in us. Let me let me read this to you. Jesus said this in John fifteen, verse one. He says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that he may bear more fruit." You know, God's always doing that work in our lives, you know, he's, he's pruning us, he's, he's, you know, the Holy Spirit, when you, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and convicts you of sin and says, you know what, hey, you're going the wrong way. You know, before I was a Christian, sin was not a problem, man, it was like, you know, hey, I want to do that, I'm going to go do that. As soon as I became a Christian, all of a sudden there's this conviction, I can't do that, I'm a believer, you know. You know, it, it's it's amazing what uh, the Holy Spirit does. Well, um, that's the work of sanctification. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you know that very moment you have eternal life, the Bible says? You've passed from death to life. The moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, you repent of your sins, God looks at you and you're no longer a sinner. He sees a saint and if you were to die that next if you were to have a heart attack that next moment and die you'll be in heaven with Jesus Christ you'll have eternal life that's because god sees you he sees the blood of Jesus Christ shed for your sins he sees Christ's perfection in you even though you're a sinner he sees he sees perfection in you that's sanctification but there's also a process of sanctification, because if you look at my life, and you could talk to my wife, she can give you testimony, I'm not a perfect person. I still sin, I still blow it, I still, still say things I shouldn't say, I still do things I shouldn't do. That's, but God is doing a work in my heart. you know. And, and hopefully, hopefully I can say this in honesty, that I'm not the same man I was 20, 10, 20 years ago. Hopefully I'm growing. And it's the same story with each one of you. Hopefully you're growing in your walk. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the work of sanctification. But you see, sin can hamper that work of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus talked about it in mark four nineteen it says, "The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word it 's kind of like the picture of this thorns and nettles, and it becomes unfruitful titus Paul wrote this to Titus in chapter two, verse fourteen. He says, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And that's what God wants to do in each one of us. He wants, he wants to prune us. He wants to, he wants to clean us up. He wants to make us more like him. But sin kind of like retards that process. Verse 7. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows. You see, up until the time of their captivity, the people of Israel, they had prophets in the land of Israel, but they were false prophets. And they were listening to the false prophets, telling them what they wanted to hear. Um, But when sin's payday comes, they're going to know that God's the Lord, and they're going to they're going to wreck. That's why he says Israel knows they're, they're going to know that they've been deceived by sin. They they're going to know that they they chose to neglect the Lord God that they walked away from. They're going to they're going to have that recognition in themselves. In Ezekiel chapter twenty-five, verse seventeen, Ezekiel was another prophet to the land of Israel. It says, "I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them." But you see, by that time. It's going to be too late for them. They've been blinded by their sin, and that's the next thing that sin does. Sin causes you and I to lose discernment. It says, The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane because of the greatness of your iniquity and great enmity. The watchman of Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways. Enmity in the house of his God. It says, the prophet is a fool, and the spiritual man is insane. And, it, you know, in the land of Israel, they had prophets. They had spiritual men that say, hey, this God is promising you peace. There's peace and prosperity. You know, uh, God loves you, and he's not going to punish you. And, and, and he was telling, they were telling the people what the people wanted to hear. There, there's people out here today that you can find spiritual people that will tell you what you want to hear may not be what God says in His Word, but it it's, will be what people want to hear. And they were deca- declaring to the people of Israel, even though they were steeped in sin, they were declaring peace and peace to this rebellious nation, when in reality, there was no peace. Those prophets, man, they're mad. They're insane. Jeremiah, another prophet, he said this in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 10, he says, Everyone is given to covetousness from the prophet even to the priest. Everyone deals falsely, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's a hard thing to talk about sin. In fact, this whole chapter is dealing with sin. It's a hard thing for me to talk about sin. It's not a popular... Who wants to hear about sin, right? Nobody wants to hear about it. But the thing is, I have to be true to God's Word. When God speaks about sin, i got to speak about sin. And and these prophets, there were these false prophets that were just saying, Hey, don't worry about it. God loves you. He's going to take care of you. But God had sent true prophets, and they were called his watchmen. Hosea, the one we're reading today, Hosea was one of those watchmen. But you see, the people looked at them and said, Man, those guys are fools. They're insane. You know, they're they're Bible thumpers. They're they're fundamentalists. They're wacko, whatever. Um, you see, sin causes a person to lose discernment where you can no longer tell between wrong and right. Verse 9, They are deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. It says they're deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah. The days of Gibeah. Gibeah was a was a town in Israel, and it was the days of Gibeah was a time when the judges. uh, There was no king in Israel. There was basically just judges and judges, not like the judges we have today. Judges were like a deliverer. Uh, They they were people that were kind of they they'd be a leader. They would lead the children of Israel when when. Israel would get into sin, Uh, their enemies would start attacking them, and they'd start getting defeated in battles. And, And so then God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And so it was during this time. It's interesting when you read the book of Judges, it says, it talks about it. It says people did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that was the time back then. Kind of like the time now, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. But the interesting thing is, when people are left alone to decide by themselves what's right or wrong by their own standards, when there's no moral absolutes, that's when men sink to their lowest depravity. And that's exactly what happened in Gibeah. The the days of Gibeah was basically the lowest of the lowest points in the history of, of Israel. The story of Gibeah, it's recorded in Judges chapter 19. And the men of Gibeah, and I won't go into too graphic detail, but the men of Gibeah, they basically had become just like the men of Sodom. And there was a Levite during that time, and he had married a concubine. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because it was not unlike Hosea's story. Remember Hosea's wife, Gomer? She was a prostitute. And she had she he had married her. She had went back into prostitution. Well, this Levite had married a concubine, and uh, this concubine had went and became, went into prostitution, basically. And he went back to retrieve her, just like Hosea was commanded to by the Lord. Well, on their way back home, they arrived at this town of Gibeah, which was in the tribe of Benjamin, and. Uh, they didn't have a place to stay, and this old man saw him out in the out in the in the city square. And said, "Man, this is not a safe place to be at night." You know, Rochester—it's kind of a safe. I—I I don't feel at all, you know, not safe in Rochester. But there, I've been in cities, and uh, and even where I grew up, it's like there's certain places you just kind of avoid, especially at night. You know, it's just not a. Anyways. They were visitors in Gibeah. This old man saw him. Said, "Man, you can't stay in the t- in the city square, man. This is not a safe place." So he brought him in. He 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 uh, kept them in their house. Well, and basically, what ended up happening, and I'm really going to shorten this story, but uh, the night uh, that same night, the men of Gibeah they murdered uh, the Levite's concubine, and the Levite took her body. And basically sent parts of it to each of the tribes it 's really a it 's a gross story when you read it, but um, he took parts of of her body and sent it to each of the tribes of Israel, and basically said, "Look what 's happened and the Bible says that the tribes of Israel gathered as one man against Gibeah again, Gibeah was of the tribe of Benjamin, and they went to war against Gibeah. The interesting thing is their first two battles against the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin actually won the battles, and a lot of the people of Israel were killed. Um, But on the third battle, the other tribes of Israel prevailed, and they actually almost completely wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. They had something like 20,000 people. They were down to like 600 men. They had been decimated uh, because of this sin and and because of their defending this sin, basically. Um, You see, the Benjamites... At first, it seemed God had forgotten their sin, and they had been victorious in their battles. But the reality is God remembered their sin, and their sin overtook them. And the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out. And that's the whole story, the days of Gibeah. Um, You see, because sin utterly destroys. Sin will overtake a person and will destroy a person. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 12. He says, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Paul wrote this in First Thessalonians 5. He says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And then finally, First Peter says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil doesn't play fair. He hates you. He's a hater of your soul. He's a hater of your marriage. He's a hater of your life. He's a hater of your family, your children. He wants to destroy. And sin destroys. And people can get overtaken by their sin. And that's that's basically what he's saying. They've gotten so bad, they, they they were at the lowest of the lowest points, just like the days of Gibeah. The next thing that sin does is it causes you to lose your identity. Look at verse 10. Says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird no birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Says, Israel was like grapes in the wilderness. And the only picture I can think of is, you know, you're out there. There's nothing, wilderness. You know, sagebrush. You know, cactus. Whatever. It's just there's dry. It's desolate. And then you come upon a grapevine. It's like, wow, refreshing. You know, liquid. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're thirsty. There's grapes, and you, you just refresh, refreshing, pleasant. God says I, that's the way I looked at Israel. They were like grapes in the wilderness. It says, as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. You think of the first fruits on a fig tree. Basically, basically when you see the first fruits on a fig tree, it's like, man, you know there's going to be lots of figs. It's like you see the potential. There's lots of potential. There's, there's excitement. There's anticipation that there's going to be more fruit on this tree when you see the first fruits. That's the way God looked at Israel. They, had, they, were, they were refreshing. They, they had potential. It says but then they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame the story of Baal Peor it's in numbers chapter 25 and basically while the children of Israel were still in the wilderness they ended up committing harlotry with the midianite women and they started worshipping the idols of Moab at that time it says they became an abomination like the sin, like the thing they loved and that's what i'm saying sin causes you to lose your identity as a man or a woman of God. Whatever you worship, and you know, everybody worships something. Whatever you worship, you become known by what you love or what, by what you worship. You become known by what consumes you. Now, I know somebody, nobody here, so don't, I'm not talking about any of you, but I know somebody who is so consumed by lying I mean, that's all they do is they lie. It's so much so that that's their reputation. They're a liar. They, they, they've, been, they've become identified with that sin, with that thing that they've pursued. And it's to the point where this person, they'll, they'll tell you the sky is blue, and I'm like, I don't really know if it is blue because they lie all the time. I've got to go outside and look. because You can't take them at face value anymore. They're known by what they do. They're known by what they worship. If you love money if you love status, if you love materialism, and it consumes you when you worship, eventually you're going to lose your identity as a man or a woman of God and you're going to be identified with what you worship. And people will say, hey, she's just all about money. Or or he's just about getting the latest toys. That's all he's about. You become identified with what you love. Now, for you and I as believers, the good thing is, if you worship and love Jesus, if he consumes you, You'll find your identity in him. And people go, man, when I talk to that person, it's like I'm talking to Jesus. He just, just, she's just like Jesus. She reflects Jesus. I mean, that's our goal, right, as believers. We want to do that. But for Ephraim, they became like an abomination, like the thing they loved, and their glory shall fly away like a bird. They had a reputation as God's chosen people. But because of sin, because of idolatry, because of rebelliousness, they're now known as God's outcasts. God's, it's like God's abandoned them. They're going into captivity. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Look at verse 12. Though they bring up their children... "'Yet I will bereave them to the last man. "'Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. "'Just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, "'so Ephraim will bring out his children to the murderer. "'Give them, O Lord, what will you give? "'Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. "'All their wickedness is in Gilgal, "'for there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds. "'I will drive them from my house. "'I will love them no more. "'All their princes are rebellious.' Ephraim is stricken. Their root has dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, were they to bear children, I would kill the darlings of their womb. You see, sin causes barrenness, it causes unfruitfulness. He says, Just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out his children to the murderer. The city of Tyre, it's when present day uh, northern, or not northern, it's it's in Lebanon, just north of Israel. And in that time, the city of Tyre, there were actually two cities. One was on the shore, on the land, and there was another one that was just offshore uh, of the city on land. They were both known as the city of Tyre, and the city of Tyre was very, very wealthy. They were, it was basically luxurious. They had, they were, had a fluency. The city on, both cities thought that they were impregnable from attacks, but especially the city that was out in the water, they thought, man, nobody can get to us. And they basically felt that they were completely fortified from attack, completely self-sufficient, they were completely full of pride. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, from Babylon tried to destroy them, but he he couldn't do it. Uh, But in 332 B.C., Alexander the Great... He destroyed the city of Tyre that was on the land. He took that city and completely destroyed it to rubble. Now, the people that were on the uh, on the island, they're like, hey, he, he, he can't come out to us. He doesn't have a navy. Well, what uh, uh, Alexander did, a very smart guy, he took the rubble from the city on the land, and he just started putting it out in the water. And And they just had his men putting it out, and they basically started building a causeway from the rubble of the city on, on the land and they basically made a land bridge all the way to the city on, that was on, out in the water, and he completely destroyed the city of Tyre. They thought that they were impregnable, but uh, he ended up attacking it and destroying it. And you see, Tyre is a picture of, of, of man's pride, basically. They had an abundance of everything, and through pride and arrogance, though, you know, they thought nothing would ever happen to them, and they were destroyed. I look at our culture today, you know. We, we've been so blessed as a nation. We've, we've been uh, spared of so much, and, and uh, you know, we read about all these terrible things that happen. But they don't seem to happen here, and, and we have this sense that we're, we're you know, nothing's ever going to happen to us. Well, i got news for you. Something's going to happen to us eventually. And uh, well, because of pride, Tyre was destroyed. Ephraim was blessed by God, but they became prideful. They they were they had you know abundance for a long time. They didn't think there was any consequences to their rebelliousness, but like Tyre, they would be wiped out, and their offspring, or in other words, their fruit would be destroyed, because that's what sin does. It removes, it takes away, it causes us to be unfruitful. It says, All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. Gilgal was It was right when the children of Israel were through the desert, through the wilderness, and they were just crossing into the promised land. That was where uh, the first place of their fruitfulness. That was where God told uh, in the days of Joshua, told the children of Israel, I want you to renew the covenant of circumcision, my covenant with my people, Israel that was where they renewed that covenant it was where the first passover was kept when they came into the land of Canaan. you know god had fed the children of israel manna in the wilderness for 40 years and and every every day except on the sabbath they were provided with food and on the day before the sabbath they were provided enough for two days and so god blessed them and took care of them all their time that they wandered through the wilderness and the first when they first got to gilgal that was when the manna ceased and at that point, they were eating the fruit of the land. But at that point, that, you know, it's like you're here, you've arrived. And there was so much potential. There were so many blessings. That was one of the places where Samuel the prophet judged Israel from. But it went from being a place of fruitfulness to a place of idolatry and barrenness. And you know, it's sad to say, but I know so many believers that that's the story of their lives. And they start out well. They start out loving the Lord. They start out fruit for the for the kingdom. You look at them, you go, man, they got so much potential. But something happens. They start getting complacent in their walks. They start, they start looking at other things. They start worshiping other things. And pretty soon, man, sin overtakes them and sin destroys them. And pretty soon they become like those things they worship and they're no longer fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. Verse 17. My God will cast them away because they did not obey him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. You know, the Jewish people have been wanderers among the nations for over 2,000 years, and that's what sin will do. It'll leave you wandering with no direction and no purpose. But even though God proclaimed this to the children of Israel, God loves his nation, God loves his people. And today, you and I are living in one of the most unique times in history. The modern state of Israel is a miracle. You know, that's the only nation that's been off of the world scene for 2,000 years. They've retained their culture. They've retained their religion. They've retained their language. They even have their, 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 their money system, the their shekels. All that stuff, after 2,000 years, they're a miracle. That's because God is faithful to his promises. And God told Abraham, I'm I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. And and I'm never going to forsake you. And, And God's true to his promises. And so the nation of Israel, it's just a miracle for you and I to see that in our generation. You know, this is from a prophecy standpoint. I think we are living in the most exciting time that many believers before us never experienced. You know, we talk about all these liberties that are being taken away, and I'm, I'm one right up to stand up and shout, you know, don't do that, and I, you know, protest and all that stuff. And it's concerning to see the direction that our government is going. But you know what? On the one hand, I get upset about it. And uh, on the other hand, I also look and go, you know what? The Bible said that it's going to be like this in the last days. And God's Word is true. And Jesus is returning soon, and I'm, I'm, we're seeing the stage being set for that. And so I think, man, it, it's on the one hand, it's, it's disappointing, or you know, it's, it can be scary, it can be concerning. But on the other hand, you know, you could take a Bible, and, and you, can, you can basically have that in one hand and have your Fox News or whatever in the other hand, whatever it is, news thing you read or whatever, watch, and you can basically line them up and go, that's happening there, and wow, I look in Revelation, I see the exact same thing being described. It's such an exciting time. Well, God, after 2,000 years, brought is bringing Israel uh, back to life as a nation. Uh, God's gracious and God's merciful. And, uh, and so this whole message, I mean, it's kind of a downer message, right? We're talking about sin. We're talking about the consequences of sin. And the thing is, this is not to con- condemn anyone here. This is not the purpose behind this message. This is basically... Uh, just a wake up call for you and I to take our own spiritual inventory of our lives this morning let's let's take a look at that a few things that we talked about first of all, if your joy's gone, you know think about that is is, is is my joy been taken from me? Is it stolen from me well that's what sin does. Sin steals your joy. Have you been deceived by sin? Is your fellowship with the Lord? I mean, you feel like you're praying, and it's like it's like it bounces off the living room ceiling. It's like, I, I feel like God doesn't hear me anymore. You know, the Bible says God's just a prayer away from any one of us. He hasn't gone anywhere. It's you and I who walk away from Him. So He's right there. All you have to do is cry out to Him, and He's there. Maybe you were once in a place of usefulness for the Lord, but now it seems like an opportunity to serve the Lord has passed because of your sin, because of the choices you've made. Well, the good news for you and I as believers is it's never too late. It's never too late to turn back to the Lord, to repent and and to be restored. And God restores and God gives second chances. God gives third, fourth, fifth, I mean, you name it, infinite chances to start over again. That's because His grace and His mercy is, is limitless. Maybe sanctification is an issue within your life. You realize that you're you're not where you need to be. Maybe your your discernment, you know, you've been listening to the wrong people. They're not speaking to you the truth and, and you've gotten and kind of gotten away from the word of God. Maybe you're overtaken by your sin, or maybe you have a reputation now because of choices you've made. People look at you and go, Well, that's what they're all about. Maybe your life is unfruitful right now or you're wandering with no direction. Well, the good news is this morning it doesn't have to stay that way because Jesus Christ forgives sin. The Bible says uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's, just, it's a choice that you have to make this morning. And so again, this is not a this is not a message of condemnation. The the children of Israel, the land of e- they were going into captivity. Um, they basically, you know, for hundreds of years, they had rebuked the prophets that God had sent to them. They had continued in their stubborn rebelliousness, and it, it wasn't so much that God was punishing them, but it was the effects of their sin. Their sin was catching up with them, and now they were going to pay the consequences because sin does have a payday. And so they were they were going to ex- experience that, but for you and I, you know, Jesus took our sin on the cross. He, he He took your and my sin, and He died in our place. He lived a perfect life, and He died as a sinner. Now I didn't live a perfect life. I've lived a life of sin, and I deserve the death that Jesus Christ died. But the Bible, God says, the Bible says that God so loved the world He sent His Son, and Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. He paid the price, and now He offers forgiveness to you and I if we'll just repent of our sins and turn back to Him. And even as believers, you know, we, we still, you know, I, that one song that we sang earlier this morning as Luke was leading us, you know, there, there's that day is coming when my faith will be sight. You know, I'll be, I'll be seeing Jesus face to face. And think about that day. That day that sinful body of ours, that flesh, that, that, you know, we're prone to sin. That's our our sin nature in us. It's still there. One day, we're going to be stripped of that sin nature, and we're going to be able to worship the Lord in holiness. And there's not going to be any ulterior motives. There's not going to be any guilt or shame. It's just right there in the presence of the Lord. That's, 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 that's coming, folks. But, you know, you and I as believers, we can experience that Right now, if you repent of your sins and, and just say, "Lord God, I forgive you, please forgive me and uh, please restore me and so today again it's not a it's not a day of condemnation. I hope you're not feeling condemned this morning, but if it's speaking to you, I want to encourage you uh, there's no accidents when it comes to God there's just divine appointments, and the Holy Spirit. You know, he wants to do that work of pruning in each one of our lives. He wants to, he wants to make us more like Him. And so, the choices are you. The decision to make is: Are you going to allow Him to do that? So, I, t- I pray that you take this message and just pray about it, and uh, and just do business with the Lord because He loves you. Why don't you stand up and let's go, Lord, in prayer. <coughs> Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the reminders, and, and Lord, it's so much better to learn from other people's mistakes. Lord, we look at Israel and we see the choices that they made and the consequences that were a result of it. And Lord, it would be so great if we could just look at that and and not, and not do those things and not experience those same mistakes. And yet, Lord, I know in my own life, Father, I've, I've, I've made those choices and I've paid those consequences. And Father, I just thank you for that reminder this morning. Lord God, I pray for each person here. Lord, um, I don't know where their, their hearts are with you, but Lord, you know each one of them. You know their lives. You know their situations. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that this morning you might just speak to their hearts through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that, uh, Father, Lord, that we would um, heed these warning signs and, Lord, that we would become more identified with you than than with those other things that we would tend to pursue. and. So I just lift up each person here this morning and thank you for them. I pray your blessing upon them this coming week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.